0: Matthew chapter 6, 19 through 34. Don't, Don't hoard treasure, treasure down here where it gets eaten by moths and corroded by rust or worse, stolen by burglars. Stockpile treasure in heaven where it is safe for moth and rust by burglars. Stockpile treasure in heaven where, oh, I just heard that. <laughs> um, it's obvious, isn't it? The place where your treasure is is the place where you want to be most and up and end up being. Your eyes and windows into your body. If you open your eyes wide in wonder and belief, your body fills up with light. If you if you live squinty-eyed in greed and distrust, your body is musty cellular. If you pull the blinds out your on your windows what is dark life you will have. You can't worship two gods at once. Loving one god, you'll end up hating the other. Adorption of one feed feeds contempt from the other. You can't worship God and money both. If you decide for God, living a life of God worship, it follows that you don't fuss about what's on the table at mealtimes or whatever the cloths in your closet are in fashion. There's mo- there's far more to your life than the food that you put in your stomach, more to your outer appearance than the clothes you hang on your body. Look at the birds, free and unfettered, unfether- not tied down to a job description. description. Careless in the care of God, you are... Ca- and you count far more to god than birds has anybody has anyone by fussing in front of a mirror ever gotten taller by so much as an inch all the time and money wasted on fashion do you think it makes that much of a difference instead of looking at the fashions walk out into the fields and look at the wildflowers they never pimp or shop but you have but you have but have you ever seen color and design quite like it the ten best-dressed men and women in the country look shabby alongside them. If God such much gives such attention to the appearance of wildflowers, most of which are never even seen, don't you think God will attend to you? Take pride in you. Do his best for you. What I'm trying to do here is to get you to relax, to not be so pre get with getting, so, you're, so you can respond to God's giving. People who don't know God and the way God works fuss over these things. And you know both God and how God works. Steep over your life in God reality, God intuitive, God providences, and don't worry about missing out. You'll find all your everyday human counters will be met give your entire attention to what God is doing right now and don't get and don't get worked up about may or may not happen tomorrow. God will help you deal with whatever hard things come up to when life comes. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Let me say before I dive into this text. <clears throat> I am going to talk about the decision on Friday but I'm going to talk about it at the end. And let me say this as well. This was a very hard sermon for me to put together. Um, It just was. So I pray that you will listen prayerfully and with graciousness. And I pray that we will just open up our minds to hear what God might be trying to say in spite of all the things going on and um, how this sermon ties in to the things that are going on. So, Treasures in Heaven, I said on Facebook this week that this week's sermon stepped all over my toes. And it did. And, um, I, you know, I do like my things. I don't know if you can tell or not, but I enjoy clothes, I enjoy shoes. I like jewelry and makeup. I like all those things. Um, But what this particular passage was speaking to me about was how much does my enjoyment of these things tie me down to them? What are my motivations for accumulating more and more? And I'm going to ask you to ask yourself those questions too this morning, because it was helpful for me to get introspective this week. And it was helpful for me to ask myself, do I find grounding in any of these possessions that I own? And I had to say, I came up short, because a lot of times my motivations are off. Um, I am a partial Enneagram Three, and we're about to have this Enneagram conference in July, for those of you who are interested in digging, in this, to digging into this matter more. Uh, I'm an Enneagram 4, but I'm a, I have a wing of a 3 and a 5. Part of my 3 wing is I like to look good. I like to look cute. I would, rather you, I would rather not come up in here on a Sunday morning and wear a ball cap and a T-shirt and teeny shoes, even though that doesn't matter at all. But I have to ask myself, is that what... Is necessary. What are my motivations for that? I had to own up to that part of myself this week that I like to look good and what motivates me to feel that way to need to have that need of looking good. What do I really think that a new dress will do something for me? Then not buying the new dress won't. There's something missing inside if I need validation from a possession to feel good about myself. And you and I both grew up in a society that told us we need this thing or that thing to feel good, to find happiness and joy, to look a certain way. We grew up with commercials and ads and magazines and billboards that told us that their thing is the one that'll do it. If we have this, we'll be happy, we'll find joy. This book that I'm reading by Susan Cain called Quiet Thank you Holly by the way, it's really good. She talks about how uh, advertisers throughout eons have appealed to our, that our nature of wanting to have things. She, this is, she talks about this, uh, uh, this is in 1921 about a soap ad. These ads reminded women that their success in the dating game depended not only on looks but on personality. In 1921, a Woodbury soap ad showed a crestfallen young woman, home alone after a disappointing evening out. She had longed to be successful, gay, and triumphant, the text sympathized. But without the help of the right soap, this woman was a social failure. Ten years later, Lux Laundry Detergent ran a print ad featuring a plaintive letter written to Dorothy Dix, the dear Abby of her day. Dear Miss Dix, read the letter, how can I make myself more popular? I'm fairly pretty and I'm not a dumbbell, but I am so timid and self-conscious with people. I'm always sure they're not going to like me. Miss Dix's answer came back clear and firm. If only Joan would use Lux detergent on her lingerie, curtains, and sofa cushions, she would soon gain a deep, sure inner conviction of being charming. We know those ads, right? Right? We do. Now, when Jesus speaks of treasures, he's not just speaking of treasures in general. He's talking about hoarding treasures. There's a difference, just like the message translates for us. Do not hoard treasures. Jesus is not telling us, don't enjoy your lives. Jesus is not saying, don't buy things or even things that others might consider frivolous. Do I need to do something? Okay. Uh, Jesus is not saying don't take vacations, and Jesus is not saying don't put a swimming pool in your backyard. Jesus is talking about hoarding things. And Jesus, once again, just like he has been in this Sermon on the Mount, he's looking for our motivations. The definition of a hoard, er, or hoard is a stock or store of money or valued objects typically one that is secret or carefully guarded to hide or store away. Now, why would we hoard treasures? I think probably one of the biggest reasons is fear, right? Like if we're, if we're, we we have a fear of not having enough, we fear the future, we fear of not being able to provide, provide for our families. And these are all valid concerns and things we should think about. We should consider those things. Those are real. We, we should be doing a better job of saving. We should be doing a better job of budgeting and, and examine unnecessary spending that we could tighten up on. I'm not looking at you, Terry. <laughs> the problem is not a savings account or a 401k. It's hoarding when others need what we have, what we have been hoarding, and we won't let go because of fear that we won't have enough. That's what Jesus is talking about. Toilet paper, Toilet paper that's right. Y'all remember that one just a couple of years ago, right? Formula. Of course, there's other things going on with that too. But. but there's also the fear of people not liking us if we don't have the right stuff, if we don't look a certain way. The fear of being lift, left out or being ridiculed. Those are real too, but they don't add much value to our soul if we are led by those kind of fears, Accumulating more and more stuff can be rooted in fear. And that was hard for me to confront this week. Jesus, in these few verses, is telling his disciples, you don't have a reason to fear in this way. I don't have a reason to hoard treasures to accumulate more and more stuff. I'm reasonably confident that I will always have enough, what I need. I'm reasonably confident that I will be able to provide for my family. I'm reasonably confident of those things. But what about those around us who genuinely don't? I think this is, Mike, what you were getting to. How do you say this to someone who doesn't have the things they need? How do you say this with a straight face to them? How do we straight face tell an unsheltered friend, don't worry about what you don't have. Jesus says he clothes the flowers and the birds and feeds them. You're going to be just fine. How do we do that? How do we straight face... Tell a pregnant 14-year-old who's alone, hungry, and desperate, don't worry about how you'll feed this baby. Don't worry about how how you'll feed yourself. God will feed you. How do we tell a woman who is in an abusive marriage, just leave. God will take care of you. How can we do that? Well, we've done it. I've done it. Every time we prioritize things, stuff, possessions over people, we have said that. Every time we have an opportunity to help someone who has less than us, and we choose to look the other way or judge that person for being in the state that they're in, instead of helping them, we have said that. And off in our own little la-la land we go, and Jesus weeps. If someone has a need, and if we have the resources to meet it, we should. No qualifiers. That is what it means to seek first the kingdom of God. These passages should cause us to see, to remember the poor, and that we are the agents to alleviate their lack through our abundance. Jesus is teaching us in this passage the incompatibility of a life oriented toward possessions and a life oriented toward God. I also want to add this because these verses bothered me too in the way that, that, Mike, you said they bothered you. This falls on deaf ears if you're poor, right? i got to worry about how to feed my kids the next meal. One of the commentaries that I read explained it this way, and this was so eye-opening and even revolutionary for me to see these scriptures in a different way. Jesus knows these disciples don't have any reason to fear about their food or what they will wear because he knows they have a support system that will take care of them. He is sending them out to all these villages and towns To teach of the kingdom of God and the love of Christ. But he's sending them out to people that he knows will take care of them. He knows that this house and that house and that house in this village where they go, they'll take care of them. They're going to to put them up for the night. They're going to feed them dinner. If their shoes were out, they'll find somebody to fix them. Jesus is speaking to a group of people who knows. Who he knows will have those things. Telling someone who does not have that kind of support system to not worry God will take care of you is not exactly sound counsel and it's cruel, especially if we're not willing to help where they need help. Maybe we don't have resources at that moment to help a whole lot, but we can find someone who does. We at least have that, right? If I can't help you with this, and I don't have the money to help you with this, but it's, you need it, I know that I can shoot off a couple of emails or make a phone call. Hey, I need some help with this person. We can at least do that. We can at least make the phone call. We can at least send the email. Telling someone in need, I got you, that is seeking first the kingdom of God. That is being salt and light in the world. That is loving our neighbors as ourselves. That is, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This is who we are supposed to be saying, I got you to people who don't feel God. Out of our abundance, we meet the needs of others who don't feel God. Christ is saying to his disciples here, don't worry about food and clothing. I got you. That's what we were to say to others. This weekend, I read a um, uh, a, th- a thread on Twitter from a pastor, and yeah, Twitter was a dumpster fire this weekend for sure. Facebook was even worse. But this Twitter thread was really good. This guy t- tells this parable, the good pro-lifer. That's what he calls it. One day, Jesus met an evangelical who asked him, "Teacher, what does it take to go to heaven?" Jesus responded, you know the commands, love the Lord your God and your neighbor as yourself. Do this and you have a place in the kingdom. The evangelical, seeking to justify his culture war resentments asked, yes this, I'm pro-life. So what about our rights as Americans? And Jesus said, one day a woman was crossing state lines to get an abortion and got in a car wreck. A church bus, a pastor and a politician passed by. The people on the bus saw her Biden 2020 stickers and knew what she was doing. They called the police. The pastor slowed down, but once he saw a woman alone, he knew he shouldn't be seen alone with her, and he drove past. The politician, she never saw the woman flying in her private jet at 30,000 feet over the highway. But then a side B Christian, on his way back from a denominational meeting, drove by. He saw her, he had compassion, he offered her a ride to the emergency room. He was single by choice, spurned by his church, he was successful in his career. He told the hospital, send me her medical bills. While she recovered, the man turned one of his many Airbnb, Airbnbs into a rent-free apartment for her. He found a job in his department at work and made sure it covered her health premium in child care. Unlike her, own, unlike her old employer. All this he offered to her after he paid the medical bills from the wreck. Jesus turned to the evangelical. Now which of these was pro-life? The evangelical thought, I suppose the one who showed her mercy. Jesus smiled, go and do likewise. I'm really not here to pick on evangelicals today. I'm really not. Was was an evangelical for most of my life. There are good ones out there. There are people that love the Lord and are doing good work, 100%. I know them by name. I could take you to their house today if you're willing to drive like eight hours to Alabama or Mississippi. Good people. Good people. But this is what I think Jesus is trying to get at when he says, don't store up for yourself treasures on earth. Store up treasures in heaven. Our treasure should be in people, not possessions. Our treasure should be love, justice, peace for people. People last possessions don't. This man in this parable, he had the resources. And rather than hoard them, he sees someone in great need and uses those resources for her. He gets her. I don't have those kind of resources. If that was me in the story, I would not be able to do all those things that that man did. But this is what I could do. I could pick her up off the side of the road and put her in my car, for crying out loud. I could take her to the emergency room. I could ask her, is there someone I can call? I can sit with her while she's there. I can tell the people at the hospital, I don't have money to pay for her hospital bill, but she needs care. I can do those things. I can take her to get a meal. I can take her for a cup of coffee. I, I could even, we have two extra bedrooms in our home. We could even put her up in our house for a time. We could feed her that way. I don't think I can get her a job. I might get her a job in Huntsville, but... Are you following me on this? There are things we can do, even if we have very little. The kingdom of God is about what we do on earth. This is what Jesus meant in the Lord's Prayer when he taught us how to pray. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven If someone we know has a need we work to meet it if we can. When we seek first the kingdom of God that doesn't mean starting the day off with a quiet time although that's good and very beneficial. Seeking first the kingdom of God does not mean external public acts of holiness to show the world how holy we are. That's not what Jesus is saying when he says be salt and light in the world and seek first the kingdom of God. Although I think a lot of us were taught to interpret those scriptures that way. Seeking first the kingdom of God means to follow Jesus' teachings on how to love one another, speaking up for equality, how to speak up for people on the margins, speak up for the poor and take care of them when we can, because that is what Jesus did. Seeking first the kingdom of God and God's righteousness means that we work for others that might not have justice in this world. I think we do get messed up with that word, righteousness. And it's not what it means, it's unfortunate that it did not get properly translated to justice because justice connotes a whole different bag of toys rather than righteousness. Those that have justice in this world, we fight for those who do not have justice. This is where American Christianity, in my opinion, what I'm about to share with you is my opinion, has taken a turn for the worse. American Christianity fights and claws for power at seats in the empire that Jesus never once told us to fight for, not once. Jesus did not tell us to use the empire to tell the gospel story. Jesus never told us that we should evangelize the empire empire, and then seek places of power in in that empire to change the world to do our bidding. Jesus told us to change, to reorient our lives to His way of being, doing, and loving in this world. He told us to go and make disciples, not go and demand that the Empire serve us and only us. He told us to love our neighbor, to love the unlovely, the undeserving, not demand that the Empire hate the people we hate. Jesus never told us to make the empire a Christian one. Jesus told us that the first will be last and the last will be first. He didn't tell us that the only way to be salt and light in this world is by harnessing the power that the empire has and making it obey us. But that's what we've done, in my opinion. And Jesus weeps. Steve Mattson says, creating a theocracy is the opposite of bringing the kingdom of God to earth. Living out the kingdom of God on earth requires us to be sacrificial. It requires us to be ever vigilant to the needs around us. It requires us to meet those needs where we can. It requires us to not be holding our, hoarding our possessions, but to hold them loosely and to not be defined by them, to share them with others. Eugene Peterson said that our purpose is to make a colony of heaven in the country of death. A colony of heaven in the country of death. My friends, we are supposed to be much more than this. We are. I regret that most of my life I was never taught that. I never learned that. I never tried to. I accepted it one way, and I regret that. What would our world look like if we really did seek first the kingdom of God and his justice? What if we took that so seriously? What would that look like? I think it would look a whole lot different than what it does today. I saw people all over Facebook and Twitter on Friday saying that, all right, church, now we have to rise up and take care of these women. And my first immediate thought was, why haven't you done it before? Where have you been for 50 years? Where? This is the 12th church that I've been in in my lifetime. In all 11 churches before this church, not one time have I seen a budget line item to help unwed mothers, to help foster care programs. Not one. And those same people are now screaming, we've been doing it for 50 years. The hell you have. You have not. You have not. I don't believe that anymore. The hypocrisy is thick. And it was a system that I was a part of and cheered. And I have so many regrets about that. But it's corrupt. And it's not okay. Now, were there, have there been churches that have stepped up to the plate? Absolutely. But I feel like, and this is my opinion, I don't have a study or stats to back this up, it's mainly been the larger churches that have been willing to do those things, to like provide diapers for a, a pregnancy center or blankets for babies. These other churches that I know of, they, nothing, nothing. I mean, not even $50. You couldn't buy some diapers. So what do we do now? What do we do now? I don't have the best answer for that. I really don't. My initial reaction is is to say, whoever needs help in this area, come to Bloomington. Come to Peoria. I know some people that can help you. but I don't know for sure. And so I've given myself a couple of minutes to kind of lament and give you my feelings about it. I wonder if anyone else in this room would like to share their feelings, their thoughts. Gail says that in his experience the bigger churches are not doing this as well. He has not seen it in, in his time anyway. Yes. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Mike says that he is seeing that they're, they're ready to, to take away a lot more rights and, and nobody's trying to stop it. Elmer. That's, exactly what I was I think this- That's true. That's right. So someone is saying for those of you at home or um, they're worried about other rights being taken away, seems to be that it's on the table now. Um, Some other person said that um, she could have had an abortion, she chose not to, and the shame from the church that she felt was uh, a catalyst for that and that for us to be truly pro-life, we've got to do a better job at how we um, handle those things, and and someone else mentioned rightly. Uh, there's another person in this party that gets to go get you know gets away with it scot-free. and That's the male, and I and I know that not all males are like that. I get it. that's not it, It's not. Yes. I think there are
0: some genuinely pro-life people out there. I agree. Who are, who are, have their hearts in the right place. I agree. 100%. If it were about life, they would be banning assault weapons. That's right. They would be providing health care for people. That's right. They would be making sure that all the children had an education. That's right. And that's not
1: happening. Right. Um, Danny says that there, he believes there are pro-life people in this country that genuinely feel what they feel, but it's really more about power and control because we won't ban certain firearms. We won't uh, protect our kids in school. We won't... Um, Expand health coverage um, in our states. Yes? I said that I don't see anybody. Right. Mike said, rightly so, all the protests that happened yesterday, people are speaking out, and, and we have an opportunity to be a part of those protests, and if, if we feel so convicted, we should. Um, yes? Yes, this, this not only affects abortions, it affects women's health care in general that will be a problem. Yes. There, are, there is something we can do, Ginger says. We can vote. And we're gonna have to. And we're gonna have to get other people to vote too. Well, I just want you to know um, where I stand. I didn't necessarily make a big splash on Facebook about my views, that's not really my style. But I wanted you to hear from me where I feel, what I feel about this matter where my heart is, um, and whatever we can do from this point on, we need to be praying and make it happen. And if you have suggestions or ways or ideas or whatever, let us hear them. We're open. And let's just pray and lift each other up and then put our feet to pavement and do something about it.